Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He com- Welcome to another edition of The Sword and the Spirit, where we take a look at the issues both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. Welcome back to another edition of the Sword and the Spirit. That scripture reading is from Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. First, I want to wish all those men out there a happy Father's Day and hope that you're blessed uh, with by your children mightily. And it's good to know to honor those patriarchs of the family. Amen. So God bless you, all those godly men out there. And if you're ungodly, repent of your sins and come to Christ as Lord and Master. And that will help you change your life. I'm not saying you're not a good father, because there are people who don't know Christ who are great fathers. And you need to get your props, too, for what you've done. But at the end of the day, none of that will mean anything if you don't know Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. And also, happy Juneteenth. That's right, Liberation Day for the African Americans here in the Estados Unidos, the United States. So happy Juneteenth. And let's, the Bible says, don't allow your liberty or your freedom become an occasion for sin. So let's walk as a, as we know we can, as a great people, as a godly people. And continue to live right and proper. Amen. So today's podcast is going to be a... I, yesterday, Sunday, Father's Day, I preached on Men's uh, Day, uh, Father's Day service. And I abbreviated it on purpose for the sake of time. You know, people want to go out to eat and have different plans for their families, etc. So I chose to abbreviate it and slow it down. And so, uh, but I promised I would flesh the full message out on my podcast. So this is me fulfilling my promise to, to flesh it out. And so you, those of you who wanted to hear it can now hear the entire the message in its entirety. Um, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. God bless. So at this point now, we're going to go ahead on and we're going to take a look at our father, Abraham. The theme for that service yesterday was God's calling to men, pretty much. I'm just sort of rephrasing it a little bit with the God's calling to men and we're looking at Abraham as an example of a man who was called of God and how he responded properly and the full impact of what happens when we as men fulfill the call of God and it goes deep into generations into generations and so that's what we're going to do I did a little timeline here with, uh, with Abraham and So let's get into it. I call this a tale of two cities and a tale of two men. The two cities that I'm going to be talking about is the city of God and the city of man. And the two men we're going to be talking about are two righteous men, two godly men. One is Abraham and the other one is Lot. That's right, Lot. One one was looking for the city of God. He didn't move into Sodom and Gomorrah because he was looking for the city of God. The Bible said Abraham was looking 
for a city whose builder and maker was God. The other one, though a righteous man, he compromised and moved into the city of man, and he paid a price for it with his family and barely got out of there with his life. But I don't want to get ahead of myself, right? Well, I'm pretty sure we all know the story of, of Lot. So I want to back up a little bit, and we're going to start. Uh, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to walk down this timeline, and we're going to see a little bit about um, about Abraham's background. What we want to look at is Abraham's father. You know, chapter 11 starts off with the Tower of Babel and how God confused the languages and man is scattered across the earth. And um, then the various descendants of Shem, uh, because the, he, the Hebrew people are the Dometic, are some are Semitic peoples. And that's who they uh, descended from. We're going to get down here to verse 27. Uh, well, let's start at verse 24. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. So Terah's father's name was Nahor. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. So he had other children as well. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. So he had three sons by the time he was 70. Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. It seems like Abraham, I, I guess if you look at the order, uh, Abraham was probably the eldest of the brothers. Now let's look at Terah's descendants. Remember now, Terah is the father of Abraham. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Get that? Haran fathered Lot. All right. Pay attention. So that would make Lot Abraham's nephew. But here's the problem. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah. And in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarah was barren and had no child. Okay, keep that in mind. Sarah was barren and had no child. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. So now Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, which was his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law. So now, Abraham is under his father, Terah, along with Lot and, and, and his wife, Sarah. Okay. Now, remember now, Sarah is barren. She has no children. His son, Abraham's wife. And they went forth together for Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. So they left Ur of the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur of the Chaldeans is Babylon, which, by the way, is modern-day Iraq. Okay, so they were up there towards somewhere there in Iraq, and they left that land and went down into Canaan, which is obviously now where the nation of Israel is today. That's, that's Canaan land. Into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there, in a particular part of Canaan. And the days of Terah was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So now Terah dies. Okay. Then you get to chapter 12. When his father dies, that's when God calls Abraham, because now Abraham is now head of household. He's not under his father's thumb anymore, so to speak. I don't mean that in a bad way. In those days, families stuck together. I know today we're in a transient society, so your children go off to college and they never come back home unless they have to come back home to move in, which is, that's another modern-day phenomenon. But for the most part, families are scattered. I, my family's scattered across the United States. I've got five siblings, and we're all scattered across the country. And my nieces and nephews are scattered across the country. So that's what I mean by us being a transient society. This is very common in, in family today. But in those days... Because there wasn't there wasn't mass transportation, you didn't have cars, and, and these people still riding horses, and a lot of people just walked to wherever they were going. You, the family unit, pretty much stayed solid, tight together. They didn't travel too too far away from one another, and so they're all living together in this particular area. So now Abraham is now the head of household. Lot's still with him, 
still under him, and he has his wife Sarah, who is barren. Now, a lot of people say, why did Abraham take Lot? Well, now you see why. Because we have a thing, at least when I was in Bible college, we were taught about the Christian family, but it was only from the perspective of the nuclear family, father, mother, and children. Uh, you know, us four, no more. Molly and me and baby makes three. That's it. Everybody else is just kind of shut out. Well, uh, a wise pastor, uh, and Richard S. Watkins told me, he said, well, that's fine. He said, but in our communities, the, the African-American community, we've always had extended families. And so when uh, somebody had a child or whatever, maybe a girl may have gotten raped or something may have happened, you know, uh, and say she's 14, yes, 14-year-old girls would be having babies sometimes. It happens. And, you know, they, back in the day, they'd send them away down south somewhere, wherever, to a relative that she'd have the baby. And even if she came back without the baby, that, you know, that child was with a relative. We didn't give our children away and we didn't murder them in the womb. And so for that reason, um, we would have extended families. And this is what you have here is extended family. So Abraham, Sarah is barren. He has no sons. So the closest relative, the closest thing to him to a son is Lot. And when you when you have a family business, you want your relatives to run it, right? Because that's how things were passed on. You just did whatever your father did. So the only legacy he has at this point is Lot. So Lot's going to help him run his business because his wife hasn't given him any sons or any children to help him run his business. So obviously he's going to take Lot with him. People say, God didn't tell him to take, I called Abraham alone. Why did Lot go with him? When the Bible says I called Abraham alone, that means God called him to a specific mission. That did not now mean he couldn't take Lot with him. Because if, if you're going to go by that logic, he shouldn't have taken Sarah with him either. He shouldn't have taken his, his businesses and all his servants. He had 318 men, 18 man security force that he took with him. See? So that doesn't make any sense. It's like I call Abraham alone. Therefore, he should leave everybody behind. And why did he take Lot? And like Lot was a headache for him. Okay? This was his nephew. This was a loved one. Loved ones are not headaches. Yes, even though sometimes it can be a pain and sometimes they be, they get out there, they start wiling or whatever. That wasn't the case with Lot. Lot made a mistake. Yes, he did. But Lot never lived the lifestyle of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible calls Lot a righteous man. That's right. Lot was a righteous man. So you have two righteous men, Lot and, um, and Abraham. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, it says it refers to Lot as a righteous man. And we'll go into that in a little bit more detail as I continue on. Sorry, just have to hydrate here. So, you get to chapter 12, and that's when God, chapters 12, uh, verses 1 to 3, that's when God calls Abraham and says, I'll bless him that blesses you, I'll curse him that curses you. That's the top line, the bottom line of the blessing and the calling of Abraham and multiplying him and making him a great nation and making his name great. The entire purpose of that is to so that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right. Promise of the coming Messiah and redemption. So I'm going to use you to bless every single person on the planet Earth. That's what God had in mind. So when we talk about the Jews being God's chosen people, that's what that means. It doesn't mean God liked them better than everybody else and their superior breed of people to everybody else. That's not what it means. Because I know it's everybody running around want to be want to be Jewish. You know, and, you know, black man is a Jew. Okay, well, great. But that doesn't make us better than anybody else. It just simply means God called us a specific mission. Mission has been accomplished. Messiah has come. All right, so let's move on. Next. So at that point, uh, so the Abraham, uh, God calls Abraham, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. I said 3, but I meant 4. Now let's move on to chapter 13. Now in chapter 13, it starts off and it says, Lot was a wealthy man. He had silver and gold and, and he was rich and he had plenty of money. Now keep that in mind. 
because we're going to come back to that. You, you know, you got to pay attention to detail and then swing back around sometimes. So uh, as I'm going along, there's some things I'm going to tell you to keep in mind, and then we'll, we'll swing back around to it. So Lot is also blessed because he's under his uncle. So he reaches a point where now he has his own business. He has his own cattle. Lot expands. The business gets expanded. So Abraham evidently gives him a portion of the, of, of the, of the, of the spoils, so to speak. And so now you've got two businesses side by side. But you know, they, you know what the old saying, two bulls can't live in the same yard, right? So once you reach a certain level in your life of maturity or manhood, you can't have two men in the same house. You can't have two women in the same house. You have to separate. And that's normal. It's not a bad type of separation. It's just the natural progression of, of life. So there was conflict, obviously, because if you stay, there's going to be conflict. So there was conflict between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. So Abraham says, all right, um, we don't need to do this. I'll tell you what, you pick a spot and I'll go opposite to what you're doing. So whatever spot that you want to pick, you, you choose that for where you want to go. This is in chapter 13. So Lot says, okay, I want the... I want the good land that's well watered and, and plenty. Oh, man, look at how plush and green the land is. It's good for grazing, you know, and it's close to the city. I'll be close to Zoar. I'll be close to Sodom and Gomorrah and these other cities. So it's, I can have, I could undercut Abraham because I'll be closer to the city and I can charge less money for my goods and services or cattle or beef or whatever he was exporting into the city. Abraham's further out. So he's going to have to charge more. It's going to take him more to more time, more effort to get his stuff in, into the city as his product or wherever. So at that point, so Lot made a good, and it was a good, obviously, logical business decision. So when you look at it from a business standpoint, Lot did the right thing. From a business standpoint, it wasn't the wisest thing spiritually, but from business. And, and that's why sometimes a, a decision can be good in one area and bad in another. And so, yes, this is a good business decision, but the first thing you need to ask yourself is, is it a good spiritual uh, decision in terms of my relationship with God? That's where you should start first. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham said, yeah, I could, go, I could have went down there, you know, but bad decision. So he stayed with God and he, and he stayed away from Sodom and Gomorrah because he saw the depth of corruption that was down there. So Lot moves in closer to the city. Okay, so then, then they separate. Um, and about chapter 13, verse 14, God declares Sodom and Gomorrah wicked and full of great sinners. And it wasn't just homosexuality, saints. It was just sin, period. It was just sin city, if you want to call it that. It was a whole lot of other things going on there besides homosexuality. But God, God is, has, has taken notice of it. He's like, okay, I'm going to handle this. And so he declares them uh, wicked. Fast forward to chapter 14. When you get to chapter 14, these five kings form a confederation and they come up against Sodom and Gomorrah and they they sack the city and take all the goods and possessions and take people, took the people away to become slaves. And because of Lot's proximity to the city, he gets swept up as well. They capture Lot as well. Now, being as Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, that was a better judgment by God on those people uh, based on what he's going to do to them later on. But the problem is they got Lot. So now we, Abraham, naturally, because it's your relative, I'm going to go and rescue, amount to rescue attempt to get Lot. I got to get my nephew back. This, this isn't going to work, right? Because Lot is part of God's divine plan for the redemption of the earth. Lot is also included in this divine redemption of planet earth. And we'll see that a little later on in, in how this works. Now Abraham's nephew Lot has been captured. And usually when you get conquered by other people, you become a slave. Clearly, Lot, Abraham is not happening. Not, not, not my nephew. He's not going to be anybody's slave. Not happening. So, 
he gets his 318 security force and he mounts the rescue attempt to go and rescue his nephew Lot. And he has to succeed, even though he has 318, and the other, I'm sure the other forces were a lot larger. But you know what? God is on his side, and one with God is a majority. So when God's got your back, God has your six. You could do all kinds of impossible stuff. So he gets his 318 men, and he rescues not only Lot, but the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah. The entire city. Everybody gets saved. Now, let's look at the tale of two cities here. This, 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 this is where the, the, the two cities come together. So the city of God just rescued the city of man. And that's, that's the thing of human history. God has always been rescuing man from his own insanity of sin and rebellion against God. So here, check this out. So Lot went towards the city, and, and after that, after Lot gets rescued, we find Lot is no longer next to the city. Eventually, Lot moves into the city. So now, and there's, there's nothing wrong with this. Hear what I'm saying. I'm sure where the compromise comes in. But there's nothing wrong with the desire. So let's assume now Lot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use some modern-day references to kind of so we can kind of get the feel of why he may have done it. He may have had Lot towers there. He may have been living in the penthouse or up on the city walls, you know, by the gates. That's where some of the best, uh, you know, view and everything is at. Uh, he probably had all the amenities or living in a gated community, uh, you know, swimming pool, tennis course, the whole nine, you know, playground for the kids, yada, yada, yada. So he went towards the amenities. There's nothing wrong with having living in a nice place with amenities. That's not a crime. But. When you have to compromise with sinners in order to get said amenities, that's a bad decision. And this place was so wicked um, that Abraham just didn't want the influence of that city and that lifestyle and that culture on him and his family and on even his servants. Whereas Lot, on the other hand, made a decision because, and his wife probably, you know, evidently wife loved it. And we'll see what happened to her later on. Uh, but as a result of that, um, it says in Second Peter that Lot's soul was vexed every day by the sin that he saw going on around him. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't like it. That's in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Lot's righteous soul was vexed. And, um, yeah, he, he didn't like what he was seeing. So he was a righteous man. Abraham had taught him, well, just like God said, you'll teach your family to live a certain way. And Abraham had, had taught him well in that regard. But he compromised, I guess, for the amenities of living in the city as opposed to living. So living in, in where Abraham was. Now, check this out. Abraham, I mean, a lot went to, into the city of man. This is a tale of two men, two cities. Lot compromised to live in the city of man. Abraham, and remember I said he was wealthy, he had gold and silver. Abraham also could have went into the city and lived large and had all the amenities. Why didn't he do that? Why did Abraham continue to live in tents? Why am I living in a tent? I can build a house. And even if he didn't want to move into the city, he could have built a nice spread, a nice home, you know, right where he was at. He could have had a nice ranch like the Ponderosa or something. He could have built something beautiful there. Uh, but he continued to live in tents. Why was that? In Hebrews it says, the reason why he dwells in tents with his wife Sarah, because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham did not care to live in the city of man, especially Sodom and Gomorrah, because he saw how decadent that became. And then Abraham also said, I could build my own city, but I'm just a man, and it'll still be my city. It, I want to find the city of God. That's what he was looking for, the city of God. So after Abraham conquers, after Abraham conquers um, and wins the battle and recoups his, his nephew, Melchizedek, this priest named Melchizedek pops up. He's the king of Salem. And as he comes out there, he offers 
to Abraham bread and wine. What? This is communion before Christ even came. Abraham took communion, bread and wine. Hmm. Something redemptive going on here. So Abraham receiving the body of Jesus. You said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. But if you eat his flesh, drink his blood. In that you find the forgiveness of sins. God is working on cleansing Abraham from his sin by giving him communion. And this is not a Levitical priest. A Levitical priest couldn't cleanse sin. They couldn't take it away forever. Only Christ could do that. Wow. This is mind-blowing. So the atonement stretches from the cross into the future, but it also stretches from the cross into the past. Wow. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. My mind is blown. What a great God we serve. So Christ reached out into the past via Melchizedek to Abraham so that he could receive communion, the blood of the new covenant. What? Whoa, wait. New covenant? So Abrahamic covenant forever became attached to the new covenant, and you'll, we'll see this here in a little bit. In fact, I'm going to do a podcast on covenants, maybe next time. And, and, you know, studying the Bible is just a matter of connect the dots. Okay, so. Melchizedek shows up. He's the king of Salem. Salem is the English derivative, is the English translation of the word shalom, peace. The king of shalom, or peace. As we say, Salem. It means peace. So, the king of Salem, the king of the land of peace is Melchizedek. Keep, keep, follow the story. Now, the word Jeru means city. Salem means peace. When you put them together, you get Jerusalem, the city of peace. But there's just Salem right now because there's no Jeru there. There's no city. Jerusalem is a city of God. This is a city that Abraham is looking for, but it's just not there yet. Who is Melchizedek? We don't know. The Bible says he has no beginning, no end, no father, no mother. I've heard a lot of commentaries and different things on it. Frankly, I don't know. So I'm going to leave that right there. All I know is that it's an eternal priesthood, God says. And by the way, Jesus was not a Levitical priest. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's the order that Christ was in. Okay, so let's continue on with the story. Then the king of Sodom comes to him and says, listen, you keep the spoils, just give us the people, and you can keep everything that, you know, everything for yourself. And Abraham refused. He said, listen, I'm all, first of all, he was already rich. He didn't really need it. But second of all, he says, I don't want to take anything from, from the city of man because I don't want you to get any credit and say we made Abraham rich. So Abraham refused it very wisely, right? Because what happened, the Jews, oh, the Jews are taking all the money. Well, Abraham said, y'all ain't going to do that to me. So you, you keep your stuff. I'll, I, I'm, I'm good. Okay. So look at this. Look at the contrast. So Abraham would not take anything from the city of man. He would not live in the city of man. He refused to compromise with the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Don't you know that friendship with the world is to be an enemy of God? So Abraham is like, no, don't want y'all. Y'all keep it moving. I'm good. I'll stay here in my tents. I got plenty of stuff. He said, the only thing is my men. You can give some stuff to my men, but that's it. You know, but I, I'm not going to want anything from you. I'm not going to take anything from you guys. If my men want something, fine. Right? You got to take care of your security force. Make sure they're, they're good. And then they'll continue to protect you if you look out for them. Common sense, right? But he, re when, but he received communion and even paid tithe to this priest of everything that he had. Not out of the spoils, but out of his own wealth. He took a tithe that and handed that to the priest of Salem, Melchizedek. Wow. So he, you know why he did that? Because Melchizedek was a representation, the king of Salem, 
of what was going to be in the future. And I'm not saying that he thought about all this, but this is this is how it works itself out. Because that's where the city of God, and Melchizedek represents the future, that somewhere along in that area, there's going to be the city of God. And so he, he invests his money, his tithes, his fortune in the city of God. What are you investing your money in? When you tithe to your church, when you give and when you give to your church, whether it's tithe or offering, however you determine to give, you are investing in the city of God. When we pay our taxes, that's the city of man. And you know how that ends up. Now, obviously, Jesus said, you know, go ahead and pay taxes, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. and then, But then give to God what belongs to God. So invest your money. And tithing is one of the best systems for paying bills, etc., for the church. So even though it's not a, a legalistic thing, that it's not a have-to thing, like God's going to come and get you if you don't. And I know a lot of preachers preach that, but we'll we'll talk about that. I don't I don't subscribe to that. Um, but it's a good system. But if I were pastoring a church, I would put in the bylaws and talk about tithing, but not as a have to, but as this is the best way to fund uh, the work of God. But if you want to give more than that, and then you got offerings, you want to give over and above that, that's fine as well. And I think you should do both. I think you should tithe regularly, and, and as God blesses you and you're able to, give over and above. Because you're investing in the city of God when you tithe into the kingdom. And yes, I know a lot of ministries take those tithes money, and the pastors, uh, they get corrupted. God, you know, not every pastor, but some pastors get corrupted, and they end up spending it on themselves. And they end up living in a lap of luxury, and you're, they're rich and you're poor. That's not right either. But God will judge them for that. They're not going to get away with it. So, refusing, refusing anything from the city of man and investing everything in the city of God. Okay, now let's move on to chapter 18. And this is where the text was for our uh, men's meeting, was in Genesis 18. And it talked about how God knew that Abraham was going to um, be the type of man who would teach his family to follow him and in his ways. And that's why, it, and he said to him, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to uh, bless you and make you mighty, etc. Let me see if I can find that for you. Okay. Uh, let me just have my reader come on here for a minute. And I'll read that to you. In 1817 of Genesis, and this was what the theme was for the men's fellowship, and this is what it said. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Amen. So the outcry came up to God. Now, who's crying out to God about the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah? I suspect it was Lot. Because Lot was a righteous man. And the Bible says that his soul was vexed every day. So God saw Lot's heart. And he's like, okay, there's a cry coming up to me here. Now, notice now, until Lot moved in there, now God said it was wicked and he was going to deal with it. But it seemed like it got accelerated when Lot went in there because God saw the righteous man in there and he's looking and he's like, this man, this man's soul is vexed every day. In fact, let's, let's see if I can, we can read that in 2 Peter. Uh, just so we can get a look at that because I, you know, I don't need to really rush since I got the podcast here, right? So I can kind of take my time a little bit. But let's go to 2 Peter. Second uh, Peter chapter uh, chapter two. Second Peter chapter two, 
and verse 6. In fact, let me start back here. Uh, chapter 6, yeah. Let's look at this, chapter 6. It says this. All right, start at verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially... So God knows how to rescue the godly. He rescued Noah, and he rescued Lot. So when he says, the cry is coming out to me from the city, that's Lot. In his distress... And it was so powerful for one man. That's how much God loves us. If there's, if there's one righteous man, God will come down and check. Let me check this thing out. What's going on here? And he said, I'm not going to hide this from Abraham. Because it was concerning his nephew Lot. And that Lot is part of God's redemptive plan in the earth. You'll see. Okay, so. Uh, yes, this, this is the power of being under under the covenant, under the Abrahamic covenant. Look at the power of the Abrahamic covenant. Look at the power of this. So he goes on and he says, okay. He tells Abraham he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Abraham begins to intercede for his nephew. And I like what Abraham says. He says, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? But look at the question he asks God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And Abraham is like, if you if you turn that city to ash, then my nephew's in there. So you're going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? I mean, does that include Lot too? You know, so Abraham is trying to bargain, and he's got his grandchildren. He's got he's got his his his, his great nieces there. And Lot's wife. So there's a family and his son-in-laws. So Abraham's interceding so as to not to destroy them because he wants them to be part of of what um, of the blessing. And remember now, Abraham has no son. So I don't know. I can't say this. The Bible doesn't say it. But maybe in the back of his mind, he thought, well, this is the guy that's going to carry on the family line since my wife is barren. You know, God had not yet told him. God had just told him what he was going to do up in the tent. And then, you know, Sarah laughs. <laughs> like, she's like, I can't have pleasure in my old age. You know, that's not going to happen. Um, so God told him that. But maybe Lot didn't, maybe Abraham and Sarah didn't fully grasp what he was talking about. So um, they went on ahead and decided, well, you know, uh, so he's probably thinking, okay, Lot's still here. I need him later on to help carry on the line. Um, you know, by this time, Ishmael is already is, is there, but, um, you know, they had to put them out and there was conflicts there and God said not through Ishmael. So what's going to happen next? All right, so now he starts to intercede for Lot and asking God to save his nephew, Lot. Please don't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And he, he gets God down to 10, if you can find at least 10 righteous, because Abraham's probably thinking, there might be some other people in there, maybe Lot did some evangelism, I don't know. I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but it's good to kind of think a little bit in terms of, of, of what may have been running through their mind. So at that point, he gets him down to 10 people. So he said, okay, if I find 10, I won't destroy the city. And that's to save the entire city. And my, my brother, David Sterling, who preached, uh, uh, so we did a tag team sermon Sunday. It was really good. I was really happy to preach alongside of him. He did an excellent job. And he talked about uh, Abraham not just wanting to save Lot, but he wanted to save the city. He was trying to preserve the entire city. That's redemptive. That's the redemption. Abraham understood the idea of redemption. God, can you save these people? Is there anything you can do to salvage? You have to obliterate them. 
Yeah, so that shows you something about the character of Abraham as well. All right, so Abraham intercedes for the city. Now, God went down there, did not find the ten righteous, but I believe Abraham's intercession, along with the fact that the scripture says God delivers the righteous out of trouble, God had no intention because the judge of all the earth will do right. God had no intention of destroying a lot to begin with. Okay, also because he, God knows he's part of redemptive history. All right, so a uh, little side note here. And the Lord God rained fire and brimstone from the Lord God out of heaven. When he turns Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, you have the Lord God standing on the earth in, in, in physical form. And he's raining fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. So the Lord's standing on earth and he's also in heaven. That's a little glimpse of the Godhead. See what else was going on there? The Father in heaven, the Son standing on earth, and they're raining fire and brimstone down on the earth. And I'm sure that the power of the Holy Spirit was there as well. So yes, you find the hintings and inklings of the Trinity in the Old Testament. The first part was Elohim, uh, when he said, let us uh, make man in our image after our likeness. And, and, you know, so who's God talking to? He's not talking to the angels. Okay, so compound unity, Elohim. Anyway, moving along. So God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And when the Angels come to the door. They, I mean, when the people come, to, uh, angels come into Lot's house. He's being hospitable to them, like Abraham. But these people are like, oh, you know, we want to, we want to know these men. We want to have sex with them. And yeah, they were very inhospitable. And but it wasn't just their inhospitality that got them into trouble. It was they were already judged anyway. So either way, whether they were inhospitable or not, God was going to judge them, and not just for their homosexuality, but generally homosexuality is a measuring rod. In human history of when a society is about to collapse, that's when it gets to the end, when, they, when, when that pervades and dominates the, 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 the nation or the community, that means it's probably at an end because that's when God begins to move and it's, again. So that's definitely one of the signs of, of, uh, of the end, end of days. Gay people have always been here. They're, we're not going to get rid of them. But when they begin to dominate the culture and are able to impose their views on the rest of society, then, you know, yeah, we're at the end. That's just my personal feelings. All right. So God saves Lot. And when the men come to the house, now the King James Version says that he, he refers to his daughters as virgins. All the other translations say young maid because the word virgin can be translated young maid or virgin. Well, let's go with virgin for a moment. Just think about this. And again, I don't know if this is to be fact, but uh, his daughters were married. They had husbands. How, how, how do you have husbands and not and remain a virgin? That doesn't make any sense. And that shows you how perverse and wicked this city was. So, as the story goes on, uh, and that was a bad decision, but it, you, you know, shouldn't be offering your children to these people. But they didn't. But these are women, and they, the people didn't even want the women. Nah, we don't want no women. We want the men. Bring them out here. We we want we want you know we want to deal with them. And then of course they they turned on Lot, and the angels had to save Lot. They snatched him from the door, and they struck people with blindness, so they didn't know where they were going. Okay, so what happens next? City is destroyed. And they said, go to the hill country. And he, Lot says, no, because they're wicked over there too. And if I go there, you're going to end up destroying that as well. So can I go towards Zoar, wherever? So the, the angel said, all right, go. But don't look back. Now his wife, now here's where the compromise hurts you. Because of his compromise of living in the city, he was giving his wife all the amenities. That thing seeped into her heart. And she just couldn't let the furniture and the house go and everything else that she had. And she looked back. And she turned to a pillar of salt. Now Lot's out there without his wife. And he's with his two daughters living in the hills. 
And clearly, for some bizarre reason, you would think there were other civilizations around. They couldn't find a man. It could be that Lot learned his lesson. is like, I don't want my kids marrying people who don't know God. But he could have went back towards Abraham. But for whatever reason, maybe he was embarrassed or whatever. Sometimes pride or embarrassment keeps us from humbling ourselves and saying, okay, I messed up, man. Can I come home uh, for a little bit to get myself together, get my head straight? So he didn't go back towards Abraham. Now his daughters are out there, and they're, they're, their minds have been twisted by living in the city. And they're saying, well, we don't have a man out here to sleep with us, and we, we're ready to have, you know, I'm ovulating. I'm ready to have some babies. Because that was a big deal for women in those days. You know, you, you don't want to be barren. You want to have children. That was a sign of womanhood. That was her job, was to have babies. Yes, there was a lot of misogyny in the ancient world. So they get their father drunk. And he sires two children with him. And they said he was so drunk he didn't remember doing it with his daughters. This is this is perverse wickedness. But again, this is what happened when you compromise. The one daughter had a son and he became the Ammonites. The other daughter had a son and became Moab, Moabites. Right? Corruption of the bloodline has occurred because that incestuous thing was just prohibited by God. Not cool. All right. Now, you, you, I kept saying that Abraham, that Lot is part of the redemptive story. Now, God redeems that corruption because later on, if you follow the story, Ruth, you get to the book of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabite. She's a direct descendant of Lot's, of that incestuous affair. Yes, she's a direct descendant. She marries into Israel, but then the son dies. And then she returns to Israel with her mother, Naomi. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. It's about redemption. See again? So in Christ, again, reaches back into time. And he redeems Lot's compromise. He redeems Lot's mistake because Ruth becomes, begets Obed. Obed begets Jesse, and Jesse begets David. Ruth is now an ancestor of Jesus Christ, which means that Jesus is a descendant biologically of Lot. That's right. Lot is now part of the redemption of all humanity. This is what salvation is about. It's about God taking our sin, our corruption, our stupidity, and our mistakes, and redeeming it, and writing it, and making good on something that we just went out there and screwed up. Wow. How powerful is that? Tale of two men. One man looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. And the other man who compromised with the city of man because of the man who did not compromise and look for the city of God and his intercession and his influence redeemed Lot's mistakes, his, his nephew, and rescued him from the city of man and brought him into the redemptive story and made him an ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. This Bible's redemption story. You can't make this stuff up. Yeah, you can't make this up. This stuff really happened. Powerful, powerful stuff. Now, what I shared with the men, because the theme was about what is God calling us to, and the lessons that we can learn from this, we can take away from this, in addition to knowing the redemptive story of Christ, is and I, I wrote down a few things. Number one, God calls us to extended family. God calls us to extended family. David said that he, his prayer was, I don't want to be concerned about just my generation, but for generations to come. We want to be men who look deep, not just into our own generation. We want to look deep into the third and fourth and fifth generations. We want to have a legacy that passes of righteousness and godliness that passes all the way down throughout the family bloodline. 
one of the greatest ways for churches to grow is internal growth. If you get people saved and then you get young married couples in the church who are, who are having children, there's your Sunday school. And then they grow up and they have children and then there, there's your children's church and it continues to grow and 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 to grow. And to grow. Within that context, that's internal growth. It's also external growth. We do both at the same time. And yes, I know some kids grow up and decide not to follow the Lord, etc., and they rebel. But you know, the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven. He knows how to find them. So again, but we want to be men of God who, not just look at our own generation, our own time, but look for the generation, the next generation to come. And have that extended family so that that nephew who's without, who may have it being a bad family situation, you may take that nephew or that niece in and or the loss of a, of a parent and a family member steps up and takes it. You take those opportunities to step up and you can be a blessing to that child. And they can also become partakers of the divine nature in terms of salvation. God says he, he sets the solitary in families. When my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Number two, we're called to intercede. We're called to be intercessors. Man, we to be intercessors. We are to intercede. You know, I, I read a book, When Women Pray, and I was like, well, where's the book When Men Pray? Because the great, by the way, the great intercessors, there's, there's just as many men intercessors, were effective intercessors in the Bible, as well as there were women. And in fact, when it comes to the men in intercession, most of what they did was part of the redemptive story of dealing with redemption. So very important to look at that, uh, being part of that re redemptive story. So we want to, we want to be that. So that's one of the things become men of intercession begin to pray and to seek the face of god on behalf of our of our children of other generations and of the towns and cities that we live in we need to we want to be uh, a part of that as well very important so again we want to do that the Third thing I want to talk about being rescuers of our family and giving protection in our family. Uh, I always felt safe when my father was home. I never felt safer than when my father was home because I knew of his strength and his commitment to protect his family. So as far as I was concerned as a kid, you know, nobody was going to mess with me, right? Because of the fact that my father was home. So I felt safe. And as godly men, as Christian men, we not just physical protection, we also provide spiritual protection, bring a hedge around our family, and and being those leaders who rescue our children when they're in trouble uh, and do what we can uh, to help them. And then also we're called to be models. We're called to be to model righteousness in our lifestyle for our children so they can see what it what it means to be to live a godly life. Very important that you that we do that. This is the things that God has called us to, as men, which we men of integrity, and we're to be men who are looking for a city built by God. We don't want to get caught up with the city of man. Of course, I live in a city. Some people live in our churches in New York City. I get it. Where else are we going to go right now? I'm not telling you to go move out somewhere in the bush and live in tents. I'm not suggesting that. But we don't adopt to the cities, to the world's ways, their ideology and their beliefs and their worldviews. We do not capitulate to that. Uh, we, won't, we won't do that. And so this is what we have to look at. Very important. So I don't buy into the world's philosophies and the world's ideas. This is why as a Christian, I, cannot, I am not either Democrat nor Republican. I cannot align myself with any worldly ideology or any worldly form. Now, sometimes you find in, those, in the mix, 
There are some things in conservatism that overlap with the Bible, and there are some things in liberalism that overlap with the Bible. Okay, but that does not either make me liberal or conservative. When it's true I, and it's biblical, I go with it. When it ain't, I oppose it. It's just that simple. So we need to be a people who, or men, who lead our families in godliness, in righteousness, model it. Enough with the outside children. Stop it. You know, if you've, if you've already done it, just stop it. Don't do it again. Repent. God's God forgive you. And take care of your children, both the ones that are with you now and the ones that are outside. Take care of them. Love them. Okay? They came here. There's no such thing as an illegitimate child, by the way. Child can be illegitimate. It comes here by natural laws built by God. Only thing illegitimate is is the parents because they did it. They didn't do it God's way in that sense. But if they're here, you love them, you raise them, you do what you got to do to take care of all your children. But no more outside children. Stop it. And if you don't have outside children, don't go get any. Stop it. Stay with the one that you're with. My father was married to my mother for 60 plus years. My wife and I have been married now 33 years. Yeah. Stay in there. It gets tough. It gets hard. I know every couple hits those rough spots. That's normal living. But that's the test of love. You just hang in there and and work it out as best you can. If you've been divorced, this is not a condemnation. People have been divorced. You know, uh, it's not the end of the age. God's not going to send anybody to help her get a divorce. You know, just move on with your life. Take care of your kids, etc. And if God blesses you with someone new, then you start over again and you try to get it right this time. Um, and do the best that you can. All right. So those are the things I believe God has called us to. We, we can't subscribe to the world's philosophies and the world's ideas and the world's way of saying or doing things. Um, yeah, and because the world is pressing in on us now and we have to be as Christians, hold the line and not allow the enemy to tell us how we should live our lives. But to tell our children, no, there's only two genders, male and female made he them. That's what you need to tell your children. There are not a hundred some odd gen- gender is not based on how you feel. Gender is based on your biology. That's the way God designed it. Don't bow to the world. And last, I'd like to close with a poem. Not a, it's not a poem. It's a hymn from the hymn book. It's a hymn called Rise Up, O Men of God. And it reads as thus. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God. In one united throng, bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. Rise up, O men of God, tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. Rise up, O men of God. And the last verse says, rise up, O men of God. The church for you does wait. Her strength is unequal to her task. Rise up. And make her great. God bless you. Well, once again, thank you all for listening to this episode of The Sword and Spirit. And again, like I said, I can never express enough how deeply appreciative I am that you take an hour out of your day to listen to these podcasts. And I just pray that I've said some things that will help you in your walk with the Lord and make you stronger and better as a believer and strengthen you. Uh, and that's my goal. And I know I say some things that people may disagree with, and that's okay, because I want to create conversations, and maybe you might take a look at it again and be very sure of your position on something. Or maybe say, well, maybe I need to change my views on that. Because I've done both. You know, sometimes I, I look and I'll, 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 but I'll give it a fair, anything a fair hearing. And I'll look at it, and if it's, it lines up with Scripture, fine. But if I don't, I'll, I'll change my position. I have changed my position on things over the years because I'm committed to truth, not to just not to being right. I, that's not the point. Um, I'm committed to truth. What is true? So thank you for listening. 
If you're on Spotify, please like or whatever platform you find this on. Please like, subscribe, and share um, to as many people as possible so we can spread the message and we can be a blessing to as many people as we can. And I thank you once again for listening. God bless you. And I will see you next time on the next episode of The Sword and the Spirit. God bless you.